Every Mother's Son in our 11th installation of Will's World, where we bring you monthly breakdowns on some of the most significant connections to William Shakespeare and his texts. You can expect to hear us share about how the world influenced his writings, or about how his writings influenced the world, or maybe both. In September, we rounded out our series on Shakespeare's problem plays by covering the tribulations that Bertram and Helena face in All's Well That Ends Well. Now, what better way to launch into fall than to share the significance behind King Hamlet's ghost, behind the specter of Julius Caesar, behind all the other apparitions Shakespeare had put into his plays? Please, join us in discussing the supernatural forces at work in these Elizabethan and Jacobean era plays. Hey, how's everyone doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm happy to be back with Amanda. And Jess is back. How are you doing, Jess? I'm doing good. I'm excited to be back this week. Yes. I know. Is it um, probably almost a year ago that you first joined in on an episode? Does that sound Macbeth right? Macbeth was the first. It was our first, like... October Halloween episode. Yay. Yes. Sure. Yes, I joined in on the witches episode because I love yes. Macbeth. And so uh, our spooky episode for this October um, was actually Jess's idea too, uh, to talk about Shakespeare and ghosts, um, which is a surprisingly full topic. There's quite a bit there. I didn't yeah. know that there would be, but... Yeah, I just thought about it. I was like, there are quite a few plays with ghosts. I bet there's a lot to dig into yeah. there. And it's kind of tricky because it's like, how do you even define a ghost? Like, I was looking at all things kind of supernatural, and I'm like, oh, we already talked about witches. Um, but, like, okay, like, when we call something a spirit, like Ariel in the Tempest, is that a spirit? But is that, it's not really a ghost, right? But there, I think we're mostly talking about, like, ghost, ghost today, right? Mm -hmm. Actually, Ariel's a really interesting We'll bring this up, I'm sure, another episode, because actually yeah. some of my research, there was, like, a lot of lore behind fairies and fae and things in Elizabethan yeah. England, and a lot of, like, ritual to that, so I I would be curious how she, how she is defined, to, yeah. or they, her presence is defined. She definitely gives me very, like, fae energy. For those of us fae. Dungeons and Dragons players... Uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I need to play D&D. &D. That, that, I feel like that is... I want to be a bard in D&D, &D, Shakespeare style. Let's do it that way. Let's do it. We have a lot of D&D &D so, stuff here, but... <laughs> back on ghost topic. There are many ghosts yeah. in Shakespeare's plays, but what are... I mean, should we have some type of foundation for what Elizabethans and those folks thought about those things at the time? Totally. It's actually kind of a, a complicated and confusing history as far as who believed in spirits what defined a spirit when they believed in them who was trying to convince people they weren't real um and deciding whether or not ghosts were you know spirits of loved ones or demons uh because that is a big thing as well so uh, as i'm sure most of the history buffs who listen to this know um, around Shakespeare's time, you know, in the hundred years before his time and the hundred years after, there was a lot of back and forth between 
Catholicism and Protestantism. Is that how you say that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Great. Mm-hmm. Nailed it. Uh, yes. And as I nailed it, Luther nailed the Lutheran uh-huh. things to the church door. Um, you know, quite a bit before Shakespeare was writing his plays. And the separation between Catholicism and Protestantism actually led to like a big divide about the supernatural and whether or not ghosts are real things that could theoretically exist. This is because while Catholics have a strong belief in um, purgatory, Protestants don't believe that purgatory is real. Now, if you're a Protestant, right, and you don't believe that there is like a middle ground where ghosts have to like make up for sins that they committed before they go to heaven, why would you believe in ghosts? Why would you think that a ghost would A, be allowed out of hell, or B, want to come down from heaven? This was like the main argument from Protestants as to why ghosts probably weren't the spirits of loved ones. Which is So the suggestion is that Ooh. if you're in purgatory you're a ghost. If you're like in heaven or hell, you're not coming back as a ghost. That's a angel or demon or something. Mm-hmm. Or, so they're okay. they're not saying that specters were not a thing. Uh, Elizabethans were fairly superstitious people. Obviously, we have the whole episode on witches. You have King James writing, uh, what is it, demonology, Jess? Is that his book? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so right along with witches and this whole idea that they are Satan's, like, minions, like they sold their soul to him, like a lot of Protestants are believing that what people are saying they see as ghosts are actually demonic spirits tricking you. So basically if you were Catholic, you could almost find ghosts, maybe even like comforting, mm-hmm. like, cause it could just be like your dead relative coming to like give you a sign or like a message. But if you're a Protestant, you would fear it because it's a demonic entity and not something that could possibly, uh, not be intending mm-hmm. to harm you. Um, just so King Hamlet is like a Catholic thing and Banquo is like a Protestant thing? So King Hamlet in particular would be like a Catholic ideal of a ghost. Uh, Jess, you put in a note here that I actually also read in my research um, from F.W. Mormon um, that there are some beliefs that murdered people, ghosts, criminals, walked the earth after death. Um, That was a big thing. There was also one where you saw, put a note in of something I also read where ghosts came to walk for a season. Like they could come for a specific amount of time. And there was a quote from Hamlet. uh, Did I put it in here? It is where... um, I thought you did. It's where his um, father appears to him and he's talking about where, uh, like what it's like where he is. He's talking about how he only has so much time to, to like give this information to Hamlet and to like fix the wrongs that were done to him. Um, 
And when I was like going back reading that little section of Hamlet, I was like, oh, that's exactly this whole like season idea, this murdered person who has to come back and mm. right or wrong. The one thing. So. Go ahead. So that has so I, I'm not sure if I was if I knew it, when they believed that is that like only a Catholic idea or is it a Protestant idea? Because another thing that I read, um, and that we've talked about too with like the gunpowder plot is, uh, England was Protestant, and it was illegal for a time to be Catholic, mm-hmm. or you were like very outcasted if you were Catholic. So like, if did Shakespeare have to be careful putting a belief that would be viewed as more of like a Catholic belief or something like that in his works or would people like take it as fiction and, you know, be okay with it. So for most of the time that Shakespeare was writing, Queen Elizabeth was the ruler. And while she reconverted people back to Protestantism, like that was the main religion of England she did not specifically outlaw it to be Catholic. She was hoping uh, that okay. by putting her people and people of power within the Protestant church that Catholics would naturally come over and convert. So I think there was a lot of like meshing of ideas on the supernatural. It doesn't get very specific as to whether in her time specifically, that's mainly where I was focusing on these ideas. In her time specifically, Hmm. there wasn't a lot of like, well, don't talk about this because if people find out that you think this is real, um, then you're going to be killed for having Catholic ideals. And I also did not read this specifically. This is totally an inference on my part, but I kind of feel like this back and forth between we're Catholic, we're Protestant, we're Catholic, we're Protestant. Like, I don't think that people just gave up on all of the ideas of Catholicism. I mean, it's been, what, maybe a hundred, 150 years since people really started converting to these Protestant Mm -hmm. ideas. Like, I'm sure that everybody is not giving up, even if you're a Protestant, on this idea that your loved ones might come back to you. I think the main idea that people were trying to say was that, like, why would a ghost come back to you? Right? That's fair. Yeah, and also, I mean, just with any religion, there's so much crossover Mm -hmm. in most religions and, like, pieces taken from other ones. And uh, so, yeah, I could definitely see a lot of the ideas meshing. Mm -hmm. I think that Hamlet's father really kind of exemplifies the idea of the the Catholic idea of what a ghost is, you know? Like, he's coming back mm-hmm. for a warning. He's a murdered person. He, I also read, because he was murdered, he did not have a chance to repent for his sins, which is why he would be in purgatory. Not necessarily that he was a bad person, but he didn't get to, you know, go to confession, for his sins, which is why he probably describes this purgatory-esque location that he's in, if that makes sense. Okay, so even if someone is murdered, so it sounds like the root of a ghost is not maybe less about murder Mm -hmm. and more about just the fact that it was untimely. Yeah. um, And that they didn't get to repent for their sins. Mm -hmm. And if, if you were just killed in an accident, 
you may not come back as a ghost with vengeance. You're just trying to clean things up and, and have some um, uh, have some repenting. Mm-hmm. But if you were murdered, then that is where like the revenge aspect would come in. Mm-hmm. Not in a play like Hamlet, but in a in another play. Mm-hmm. The the basic idea that I got um, from all my reading is that people were very confused about ghosts during this time. Mm-hmm. And didn't really know what to believe. I didn't really include this in my notes because I didn't have a lot of information to read about it. But I started seeing, like, in a lot of these articles that at this time there was, like, the first kind of inklings of, like, atheism. And so that kind of played Mm an aspect into, like, witches and the supernatural and ghosts. And, like, it... I feel like people were just trying to figure out what their religion was, and then these ghost stories, they were trying to make fit what their new or existing beliefs were. Because there were a lot of ghost stories, mainly from castles. Like, people would call them, like, Grey Lady or, you know, like, the Black Prince or things that they would see walking around these old places. And I think they are trying... I'd love to go to a haunted castle. I know. Have you ever seen the show Ghosts? This is a BBC show. Yes. Yes. I just heard about it. My sister watched it. It's so good. So I have seen parts of it. Uh, It's it's kind of this whole thing. Actually, the Grey Lady is a character in Ghosts. Um, But it's this whole thing where, like... right? Yeah, they're trying to turn it into, like, a bed and breakfast thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But it, it really fits into this this old idea that like there are just ghosts potentially haunting these old castles that's probably the only place you'll see them and people are trying to just you know put reasoning behind these strange occurrences that they can't explain I think we still do like I think people are still confused and conflicted about ghosts I had a friend actually who did a uh, some paranormal investigating just for fun and was a total non-believer and started doing it and then like became actually convinced like Mm -hmm. the other way that they were real Mm -hmm. so i feel like a lot of people very strongly believe in the existence of i mean look at like a lot of the supernatural horror movies that you get nowadays right like you still have this idea like is this the ghost of a departed person is it a demon like is this something that's trying to trick me, like the whole Annabelle series. Um, hmm. I don't know how familiar you guys are with that, but I sure? love those. But I've seen a couple. I've seen at least one of them. Yeah, but that's the whole idea, right? Is spoilers? It's been like six years though, people. So, uh, but <laughs> the whole idea is that this Annabelle doll tries to convince you that it is the soul of like a little girl that died, but it's actually a demon that's just like possessing the the doll and trying to trick everyone and like this is a it's something that goes all the way back to this time that you know you're not sure could just be a demon could just be a witch like trying to trick you um we'll jump more into the the shakespeare ghosts later but sometimes i wonder after reading this about the witches and the ghost scene in macbeth and the connection there, like, because the witches are the ones calling all these ghosts, right? Um, are they really the ghosts or are they just 
they're called apparitions in the script so are they the spirits of those people who are killed or are they demons impersonating those spirits exactly i think it's a big differential to make mm -hmm. um the the interesting i didn't know you did the research about the the atheism part about this but i think it's a huge thing now where people are becoming less and less involved with uh, organized religion mm -hmm. but i think there's like I mean, I, I have no statistics to back this up, but I think the number of ghost believers is through the roof. Yeah. But it seems like if you were to acknowledge that there are ghosts, then you almost have to acknowledge that there's some type of higher power. Mm -hmm. So I, I, Not that we're going to be able to answer that question of how those two things live in the same ideology, but mm -hmm. it, I don't know, it's interesting to think about. I yeah, I feel like a lot of people's belief about ghosts can kind of just be like a huge like overarching idea of how people are trying to explain the unexplainable mm -hmm. like if you're in a completely still room and something falls off a shelf like how did that happen or just all these little things and it's like we need a way to try and explain something that we can't explain in any other way and how have we been trying to explain the same occurrences for 600 years with for longer than 600 years like 600 years in the aspect of what we're talking about today, but like yeah. forever, we're trying to explain the same things. Um, and we're, you know, it's just interesting. The more I read into like what people believed, like how it's mostly the same today, you know, like people still mm -hmm. have a lot of the same superstitions and beliefs. Granted, there are more skeptics now than I think there were in Shakespeare's time, but. I think it's kind of cool that Shakespeare has this opportunity to put so many of these apparitions, specters, ghosts, other supernatural mm -hmm. uh, beings in his plays because the, the kind of research that I was looking at suggested that for hundreds of years before this, uh, you know, pre-Renaissance medieval times, there wasn't uh, actually a lot of that in the theater. Mm -hmm. That there was a lot of a, a very long period of time where things were very religious based, and um, and therefore um, in a strict Christianity, um, polar opposite like angel devil, or angel demon, excuse me, um, and that all fit into these morality plays. Mm -hmm. This label that uh, we use all the time, a morality play, where you know someone is. Uh, kind of the uh, placeholder of humanity of um, of the of the greater world and that protagonist we follow through a moral dilemma and they have to decide uh, you know whether to to eat the apple or not so to speak and um, like one of the ones that was kind of happening uh, one of the morality plays that was kind of ending that that era in theater history alongside uh, when Shakespeare was writing his plays was uh, Marlowe did a play called Dr. Faustus, which was based off a very, very old German story. Um, but it's, it's a T for T, that kind of thing, where we have this uh, Dr. Faustus, and he wants to explore some kind of, I don't, I don't know if you'd call it like dark alchemy or just something a little more, um, less pure than, um, you know, uh, pastoral knowledge and things like that. 
and so he uh, works with this demon and he's visited by this good angel and this evil angel but there's no real like mentions of like, ghosts or other spirits or apparitions or things like that um, it it's all about like the 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 christian placeholders of what we imagine today these spirits to do mm-hmm. like it's almost like you could say that well i guess Mep- mephistopheles the demon that visits him is is actually a true demon um but the the other things in the in the play that happen are they're not very uh specter like or anything and then at the same time you have shakespeare writing richard the third like pretty much the same year which is i think his first play where you have a whole slew of ghosts visit him and so it, it's kind of that if you had to put a, a date on it when we um you know stopped doing the the spooky plays were morality plays and now the spooky plays are actually having specters and true apparitions again it's right around that like 1592 1593 time mm-hmm. and that gives shakespeare this great opportunity to say hey no one has been uh, writing much literature recently, uh, or or plays for that matter, about these kinds of more uh, physical and grotesque manifestations of of horror and, and otherworldly supernatural things. It's all been very uh, angel demon, almost biblical for hundreds of years, mm-hmm. and so maybe that is why to this day we have. Uh, so many modern supernatural beings that are modeled after what we read in Shakespeare, like witches, um, and their kind of cackly voices that we're still imitating today, and and um, the other spirits that pop up in his other plays. I don't really know much about Christopher Marlowe's life or work, um, but sometimes I wonder... Sometimes it feels to me like Shakespeare was writing more what the common person was going to want to watch, you know? Like, what are common people talking about? What are common people believing? What are common... Like, that's who's really going to see his plays, you know? At least at first. At least at first, yeah. And I, I don't actually don't know much about his plays other than Dr. Faustus, but I thought it was... I just thought it was interesting that there's a very almost biblical story Mm -hmm. side by side with a story that has nothing at all to do with Christianity really Mm -hmm. Uh, but and then a decade later um, it they Shakespeare kind of goes back and and revisits some more uh, Christian influences and things like that Um, he wrote Othello in, in the early 17th century and I found this line at the end of a thought, and I was like, wow, this is really pretty great. Um, he says, I look down towards his feet, but that's a fable. If thou beest a devil, I cannot kill thee. That's him, in, that's him talking to Iago uh, at, the, at the very end of the play in the fifth act. And, um, and there's a couple lines, and Iago responds, I bleed, sir, but not killed. This is after Othello has stabbed him. So uh, Othello says this to him. He's, um, he says he looks down at his feet to see if he has a hoof because there was, uh, I think at the time, a belief that you know, if a demon visits you 
and they're appearing as an apparition of some kind, uh, you can tell that they're still a demon and not your loved one or anyone who you would hold dear to you, like Othello held Iago dear to him by looking at their feet, and they'll have a hoof of a demon instead of the, the oh. foot of a man. And then Iago responds, I bleed, sir, but not killed, almost kind of implying mm -hmm. that, because Othello says, hey, uh, if thou beast a devil, I cannot kill thee, and he says, yeah, I bleed, sir, but not killed, almost implying that I am a devil, and that uh, yeah, I, I cannot be killed. I mean, of course, he actually is killed, but that he, he's kind of suggesting um, that he is devilish in nature. Mm -hmm. That is super interesting, like the idea of, a th of like the devil or a demonic entity working through someone mm -hmm. you love to work against you. I was reading... Um kind of in the context of Shakespeare's plays and ghosts, like, and I, Connor, I saw you had a note here about this too, but that it, Shakespeare's not really saying that ghosts are real so much as he wants to use them as a way to provoke the protagonist to push them to do, like, their next thing. What do they call yeah. that in literature class? Like, you've got the... Um, it, it's uh, Is it an inciting incident? Maybe. Sure. That sounds. Let's go, that sounds really it. smart. I like it. Let's use yeah. it. <laughs> I might be wrong though. No, I love it. <laughs> I was an English minor. No, but inciting incident is earlier in the play, so I guess it depends on which play we're talking about. Totally. Uh, I, Maybe for Hamlet, for sure. I was gonna say they mostly focus on Hamlet's dad. That seems to be the big one. Like he's a device used in the show. Like he's not necessarily appearing to Hamlet like in real life. It could be a dream. It could be any number of things, you know? Um, so I find that interesting how he uses the supernatural to, to get his point across. Yeah. And actually I, so I looked at three scenes specifically um, from different Shakespeare plays and it seems like the uses of the ghosts and the nature of the ghost in general is a little different in all three, mm -hmm. which was I thought was really interesting, like kind of looking at them back to back like that. Um, I looked at Richard the uh, Third. I looked at Macbeth, primarily the scene with Banquo, and then I looked at Hamlet a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and the three differences. So, in Richard, the ghosts are seen. The same ghosts are seen by both Richard and uh, Henry the Seventh, who's called Richmond, um, in their sleep. At Macbeth, uh, Banquo is seen while Macbeth's awake, um, and he sits at the table with the guests, but Macbeth is the only one who can see the ghost of Banquo. Mm -hmm. And in Hamlet, um, the ghost has multiple witnesses and also gives Hamlet a piece of information that basically does incite his action for the rest of the show. Um, Richard III, I actually had so much fun reading because um, as we, Connor and I talked about the adaptation um, of Margaret based on the Wars of the yeah. Roses and a lot of the characters that die during that come back and haunt Richard in a way. Um, so I think in the show, it seems like the ghosts are very symbolic and um, kind of 
It almost seems to paint this very clear picture of good versus evil um, because so Henry VII starts the Tudor line and also ends the War of the Roses, which is between the Lancasters and the Yorks. Um, Richard III was a Yorkist. And so there is one of the lines. um, It's Clarence, who's Richard's brother, who comes back. And says, the offspring of Lancaster, the wronged sons of York, do pray for thee. And basically, it seems like almost these two sides are uniting and reconciling in death, which I think would be really a really interesting thing for this audience to see. And also almost appeasing to Elizabeth, because uh, Queen Elizabeth is the granddaughter of Henry the Seventh, So these ghosts come back, they're Richard's victims, multiple of them talk about weighing heavy on his soul, they tell Richard to despair and die, and uh, Richmond or Henry to live and flourish, so it's just this very, I think, um, symbolic of this uniting of the two sides and the ending of the war, and basically kind of lifting up Elizabeth's line. Mm -hmm. And then in Macbeth, we have a little bit of a different situation um, and it's interesting with Macbeth because we know that the supernatural do exist to them because Banquo also sees the witches, but the ghost only Macbeth sees. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of this question of, is it the witches messing with him? Is it his mind, his own mind playing tricks on him? Is he hallucinating? And he does describe the ghost. It seems like he looks instead of like, Banquo looked when he was alive. He looks like a corpse. Macbeth says, thy bones are mirrorless. Your blood is cold. He has no speculation in his eyes. Things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in Hamlet, we have the ghost of Hamlet's dad, seen by multiple people. The ghost actually gives Hamlet a piece of information that he didn't have before. He tells him that he was murdered by his uncle, which turns out to be accurate and sparks the idea for the rest of the play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, Connor, I think you looked at Julius Caesar a little bit, so we can yeah. talk about that, too. But I just think it's really interesting how in each of these three different plays all have ghosts, but the ghosts uh, change a little bit sort of specifically to the needs of the play, mm-hmm. which is really cool. They're all a little different. But that I, really bothers me because I'm like, I want it to be uniform and the same. And so am I right in saying that I think we're, we have kind of four plays that we focus on here that yeah, Richard III, Macbeth, Hamlet, and Julius Caesar, that in all of them except for Hamlet, it's just appearing to one person, or the, the ghosts, ghosts are just appearing to one person. And so through that and through, through the fact of that and through lines in, that, in those scenes, you can inference that they are probably some type of imagination, or you could suggest if you're directing it, I mean. Or... Yeah, some sort of like... It's very specified. So if they are actual things, then they're very specifically targeting a person. Or if they are just a figment of the mind or a dream or a hallucination, Mm -hmm. then there's that. So it's kind of like that. But either way, it's very specific. They aren't. So it's targeted and they're, they're not just like sort of randomly walking around yeah. or visible, you know, they can, so if they do exist, they can choose how they want to be seen and who they want to be seen to. Maybe it's obvious to me because I'm a little bit more skeptical of a person, but 
yeah, I guess I should have I should ask you both. Macbeth. Yes or no? Are those ghosts real, or is he literally just in very poor mental health? I think it's the witches. Hmm. Okay. I don't think they're ghost ghosts. I think it's the witches. Okay. Causing him to see these things. They're like the fates, right? They're the ones pushing the sure. through line of the story. Uh, I find yeah. Hamlet interesting um, because I put a little quote off to the side here from an article that I was reading um, where Shakespeare wrote Hamlet uh, when a very large debate was happening in England about ghosts. So to me, the fact that Hamlet's ghost is the most ghosty of the ghosts makes me wonder if Shakespeare was subtly taking a side or not so subtly. Yeah, because I feel like Hamlet is uh, the know, only one where a lot. Yeah. you have multiple awake witnesses viewing the same ghost. But then it's interesting because in the scene mm-hmm. with Gertrude, doesn't the ghost come back right. and Gertrude can't see him? So that's really interesting, too. Do you think, like, maybe when the ghost comes you back... You also can wonder... Oh, no, go ahead. Sorry. That's more of, like, Hamlet imagining it. That's kind of what I think about that scene, right? Like, maybe they all saw the ghost first in that opening scene, right? And then Hamlet's, you know, mental stability is slowly declining throughout the play. He's clearly becoming quite unwell. Yeah. Uh, Maybe him seeing the ghost again is more his mind than an actual ghost. Yeah. I could definitely see that, too. Maybe these Like, he almost wants... Yeah. Maybe he wants what? He, like, wants to see the ghost again because, I mean, the ghost kind of set him on this path. So I feel like maybe he he wants that again. And so he, like, sort of makes it appear when it's not really there. Mm -hmm. He needs his father's approval for everything that he's done. Because, I mean, some of the things that he's done are probably were not the right choice. Or what Claudius wanted him. Not Claudius, I'm sorry. Or what... um, his dad's King ghost Hamlet. would have wanted him to do, yeah. Or maybe these devices are not for the plays, but for Shakespeare mm-hmm. to figure out for himself what he believes. And he's just trying, he's like, oh, maybe I believe this, maybe I believe this. Like, it sounds like many people are even today. Mm-hmm. Oh, because did it, wasn't Hamlet written around the time of a loss of his son Hamnet? Was that correct? Mm-hmm. I, and I feel like so, d- grappling with the afterlife is something a lot of people do in times of grief and loss, like holding out that hope that in some form your loved one still exists. If we were to jump ahead 300 years to World War I, um, the revival of this kind of supernaturalist um, thing from the late Victorian period like Ouija boards and stuff was in direct response to World War One, and people Ooh. losing so many of their what? loved ones and trying to find a way to communicate with them. Oh, that's why you I see a resurgence that. in seances, a resurgence in Ouija boards. That's uh, so wow. sad. So you have to think like this is probably not a new concept around World War One, right? Like people are losing. 
loved ones. Uh, healthcare is not amazing at this time. Like believing in ghosts and and hoping to see your loved ones come back to you is probably a comforting mechanism amongst many other things. Yeah. The last thing that we didn't talk about is uh, in Julius Caesar, mm-hmm. Brutus, and Cassius conspire, uh, and Julius Caesar is killed, right? And it is some time later in the play, he's getting ready for bed, there's a song, uh, he's sitting by his candle, he's reading a little bit before bed, and a figure kind of steps in, he's like, oh, who's visiting me now? And turns out to be this apparition and like many times in all of the Shakespearean plays when we see an apparition there's that moment of like, it's not long I don't think but like a moment of fear like, oh my god what is this I'm, I'm in the I'm in the face of something otherworldly mm-hmm. but then they realize that they're not in danger they're not in harm's way um, and then so then they he gets to talk to him and asking you know who are you what is this and he says that he is thy evil spirit brutus which is kind of interesting to me because it connects to it's another connection to the idea of like the morality plays where you have the angel on your left shoulder and the devil on your right shoulder Mm -hmm. yeah and you know one is telling you to be good and moral and the other one's telling you to give in to temptation and um and Brutus, someone who was ambitious uh, about his ideas for the for the for his country, for his empire, uh, gave in to I don't know. It's it's strange to call it temptation because I don't think he was like tempted to kill him, but he gave in to immorality, right? And so when the stage direction says that the ghost of Julius Caesar appears. That's really like the only hint that you would get that it's Julius Caesar. I think the line, thy evil spirit, Brutus, more really suggests that it's like the bad part of him rather than someone that he uh, murdered coming back to enact revenge, mm-hmm. like what we are talking about at the beginning of the episode. And so I, I start to think that this really isn't... Um, this really isn't a true spirit coming back to enact revenge, uh, because especially because they say, hey, I'm going to come see you again at Philippi. And he doesn't hurt him, and he doesn't threaten him, but he says, you know, I'm going to see you again, which is Mm -hmm. almost like an empty threat, I guess. Um, It definitely, it reminds me a lot of the the ghosts in Richard. It almost seems just like their guilt sort of coming to life in the forms of the people that they killed. And I mm-hmm. and I've always felt that way with Macbeth. I was interested to hear you say that the you thought the witches are pulling all the strings here, and I and I definitely see what you mean with that. But also, I also think that guy is losing his mind. Totally. I, I think guilt eats up all of these people in all of these plays. I think guilt is a huge thing in Shakespeare's plays, and mm-hmm. um, and how powerful your own mind can be to conjure up such crazy imaginings, right? Mm-hmm. Oh. It's like the punishment for the things they've done is living with the torment of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is like 
somewhat unrelated, but you know what I thought of? Because we just did the problem plays, right? And we did measure for measure, uh, and tries to cross it all as well, that ends well. And measure for measure, there's there's not an apparition, but you were talking about purgatory, right? Mm-hmm. And Claudio talks a little bit about purgatory and about um, how if he were to be killed without like, repenting for his sins and he doesn't know where his soul would go, he doesn't know if it would go to heaven or hell, he says it would be blown about with the restless winds um, as though around the pendant world, as though like he would just be in purgatory flying around, mm-hmm. not having a place to go. So is that like um, a Protestant or Catholic thing? And when was Measure for Measure written? It's really interesting to see how his ideas flip-flop throughout his history of writing these plays. So Purgatory was the Catholic idea, and there's a different, like, trains of thought on it, right? Yeah. Like, some people see Purgatory like you're kind of just sitting in a nowhere space. Mm. Um, some people see it as, like, a fiery sort of midway to hell, uh, which is how Hamlet's dad is sort of seen to describe it. Um, yeah, it kind of depends who you're talking to. How afraid do you want the people in your church to be? Well, I, I don't know. I, when I, I have mean. seen these plays <laughs> lately, I'm curious. What do you all think? Do you think all of these appearances that we've talked about of apparitions are really, truly scary moments? Um, or do you think they're truly horrific, like you would call a horror movie horrific today? Or are they more like plot devices? Or does it depend? I think, I think Macbeth is probably used to be more scary. Mm-hmm. But I think the other ones are definitely more of a device. Yeah. I think it's a stylistic choice, too. Mm-hmm. And, like, as, you know, a team of directors and actors, like, what do you think these ghosts are? And are mm-hmm. you taking a more literal approach or are you taking a more symbolic approach? Mm-hmm. Totally. A year uh. ago, we did our episode on Macbeth and about the witches. And then we also came, was that just a year ago? Oh my gosh, time flies. With the full production of Macbeth, right? Mm-hmm. So if you need more spookiness in your October month or beyond, you can definitely check out those other uh, posts from us. Oh, yeah. You can come Mackers, find us on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Instagram, TikTok. Um, Jess will soon be opening us into the world of Twitter. So yes. keep an eye out for that. We'll post that on Instagram once that's up and running. Yeah, we'll be all over the place then. Mm-hmm. Have all our bases um, covered. Yeah, thanks for joining us for this spooky philosophical episode. And we will catch you next month for some more interesting views into Will's world. I'll see you guys next time. Bye. See you, Amanda. Bye.